How to win a bar fight and practice diplomacy while negotiating a bounty on your head. From Civil Wars, Whistleblower Tactics, Schematic Drafting, and the Finer Points of Sith Adoption, The Essential How-To Guide for the Engineering Jedi, by Jackdaw Cry, read by Sam Gabriel, based on the works of George Lucas. Content warnings available in description. Chapter 12 But it wards me against loneliness's diseases. When he'd started on the trail after his home and what he presumed to be his charges, Vader had admittedly thought that it would be far easier to track them down. In his defense, while his memories of the runners were still every bit as impressive, through the childhood haze of nostalgia and myths told by his mother late at night, it wouldn't be the first time in his life that mythical figures had shown themselves to be disappointingly realistic and flawed. Luke, however, seemed to be making a concerted effort to prove every single one of his childhood self's ideas about runners to have been nothing but the wholesale truth, and he couldn't quite determine how he felt on that matter. The trail of both memories from the mercenaries and Luke's own force signature had gone cold nearly immediately out of the gate, and the signatures of his charges had followed suit not soon after. Most of what had been tracked down so far were bare snatches of less-than-ideal security camera footage and simple, useless speculation. Arriving at Water Crystal Station in record-breaking time, only to find no trace of his little star, or indeed any leads on his location, was both as infuriating and worrisome as it was impressive, and, as much as he loathed to admit it, oddly thrilling. Though the latter was perhaps both the least relevant and least useful while attempting to coordinate with the station master. Admittedly, said coordination had been something of a trying ordeal as well, since apparently a surprise gale-force wind had nearly knocked an underprepared elevator from the sky only hours earlier, and, despite a distinct lack of evidence, he was more than a little suspicious of the idea that said incident couldn't be tied back to his own hunt. "'You must understand, my lord,' the stationmaster, one mix Ouroboros, pleaded with him while they attempted to explain why the sudden turbulence on an elevator was a more pressing priority than locating Luke and his charges— Nervous, reedy, and fearful, he had already taken an intense dislike towards the Bothan before they had even had the opportunity to complete three whole sentences. We are splitting our resources at the moment as best we can between caring for those injured in the sudden elevator accident and the investigation into what happened to make it fail, as well as attempting to locate any usable information for your own investigation on locating your... Ah, mm, well... I have no use for excuses, Mixoraborius. I have use for results, he cut in on the station master's floundering attempts at addressing Luke in a proper manner. They promptly fell silent, and Vader returned his gaze to where the fearful technicians of the station were feverishly working their way through all the security footage from the moment Luke's transports had arrived at the station up until now. They promptly fell silent and Vader returned his gaze to where the fearful technicians of the station were, feverishly working their way through all the security footage from the moment Luke's transport had arrived at the station up until now. So far, all they had been able to confirm was that Luke had done the wise thing and heavily altered both his and his charge's appearances in the time since he had last seen the little one and the time of the security recording. Seeing Luke slip out of the transports and usher his charges out of sight in mere seconds had been a moment of both great pride and irritation. 
as Luke had once again provided them with only crumbs to go off of before disappearing like smoke in the wind. At least now they knew to be on the lookout for a group of five, two of which would be visibly armed, and all wearing white headscarves that covered a good deal of their head and face. Unfortunately, even that didn't seem to be of any aid to the technicians, as finding even glimpses of Luke and his charges was proving to be an effort similar to finding a drop in the ocean. The closest shot they had of Luke so far was around the central area of the station, where, infuriatingly, Luke's prompt evasiveness and already largely covered features were proving to be too much of an obstacle for the facial recognition software to trace. It left them reduced to manual analysis of the footage with a limited number of eyes, a tactic which was already taking far longer than he could feasibly make his patience stretch. A patience he wouldn't have needed to have if he could trace Luke through the Force or through others' memories, but it was as if something had descended over the city in the last few hours. It made it impossible to find Luke or his charges through the Force, thwarting him at every turn and the memory method didn't even bear mentioning, as it was entirely unavailable due to the fact that no one had even seen the runner, the latter of which he knew was intentional, and the former of which he was beginning to suspect the same, which meant watching as a hastily assembled team of technicians poured over every second of footage they had from after they lost sight of Luke, combing the frames of the thousands of passengers for those specks of white that would indicate a glimpse of Luke and the missing students. There has to be a faster way to do this, General Veers mumbled next to him while standing guard. Is there nothing in their fancy arsenal that can help here? Unfortunately not, he rumbled back, the station master flinching at his voice. Not unless they were to permit us to look over their precious footage ourselves to increase the number of eyes searching. Well, Mixora Boreas stammered, I understand your frustrations, my lord. But the machinery is delicate, and uh, it's vastly preferable that trained professionals handle them if speed is key. Save your excuses! He snapped towards the sniveling Barthen, the dark hissing in time with his irritation and shutting them up promptly, before I fully lose my patience with them. If there was one thing he wasn't in the mood to listen to today, it was people poorly attempting to hide how they believed both him and his men to be barely more than brutes, incapable of handling the complexities of machinery and technology, especially when Luke was on the line. Besides, he hardly needed to be seated at the terminals to view the footage properly. The same was done easily enough from a distance as well, and with a wider angle, he could easily scan multiple monitors at the same time. Let the station master believe that they were complying with their pathetic attempts at enforcing their authority, he had what he needed. In fact, he... there... The dark lashed out on his command, freezing the small side monitor on which a flash of white and black had appeared, and he was moving towards the monitor with long strides before he even fully realized it, a nervously babbling station master on his heels. He ignored both them and the technicians seated at the terminal, and he instead focused on the screen. On it, he finally found what they had all been looking for. Seemingly shot from an automat of some kind, the footage showed a figure approaching in the distinctive blast vest Luke had modified and wearing a broad, white head wrap that covered both the head and the face. I believe, he rumbled, addressing everyone and no one in particular, that we have found Luke. Where did that footage come from? Zeers immediately asked, and he glanced over in approval. The general had done much to regain his composure and critical thinking ever since the shocks he'd been subjected to, and was proving himself to be a valuable partner in the search so far. 
That, that would be uh, the automat in the eye of Shitamaske, my lord. The scared and nervous, but grimly determined Twi'lek technician stammered. It appears that Mr. Lars is out of the holochips it dispenses. Play the footage, he commanded, needing to see what his little star had gotten up to while so far out. The technician bobbed her head rapidly, Leku twitching nervously. Yes, my lord. She hit the button, and the obscured figure of Luke abruptly started moving, and everything about it was at once both familiar and different. It was Luke, beyond a shadow of a doubt, but there was an edge to his movements, something that sharpened and smoothed them all at once, and all he could think was that this was his little star, his little star, the runner. In the footage, Luke produced a small device, rapidly flipping over several things on it while selecting various options on the screen, presumably to make a purchase. At the moment of purchase, he inserted the device and began to rapidly select all manner of things on the hollow display that lit up, occasionally selecting things. What is he doing? Ouroboros asked. Confusion and the beginnings of outrage beginning to take hold within them. It appears so, the technician answered carefully, that Mr. Lars is slicing the automat to steal one of the chips. Why, I... Ouroboros began, outrage flaring high within the force like a wildfire. Why would he be interested in procuring one of those chips? He asked instead, brusquely cutting off any tirade the station master was building up to. What is their content? That Luke would break cover in order to risk stealing one. A map, sir, the technician answered promptly. They are miniature copies of the exhibit they commemorate and display a map of the city and these landmarks. And from his selection, I would say he chose one of the more detailed and accurate maps instead of the stylized ones. A map, of course. Luke was a stranger to this city, and evading various criminal elements as well. A map of his current location would be invaluable to the runner. So, the lad now has a more thorough understanding of exactly where he's aiming to go, and we still have no idea of the direction, that is. Fear summarized, not adding a sarcastic great at the end, but Vader was not so blind to the general's tone that he couldn't hear it. A statement with which he unfortunately had to agree, but they were not out of the running just yet. We now know in which wing of the station Luke was located at that time, he countered. We might learn his path yet. Yes, sir, the technician promptly agreed, rapidly typing away at her keyboard to pull up the relevant security footage files, immediately starting up the footage that, according to the stamp in the corner, showed the corridor that led down to the southern exit of the station. For a minute, nothing of interest occurred, besides the droves of travelers passing through, but eventually the technician hit the pause button and pointed at a small gap between two pillars on screen. There, she said, in the side walkway. True to her word... There were three figures with distinctly white head coverings, two nearly disappearing behind the pillars again, but a third stood firmly centered between the two. The figure wasn't wearing anything black on their torso, indicating one of the students rather than his home, but they were undeniably a part of Luke's group. They seem to be heading for the exit, Thiers noted, gesturing over to the stamp in the corner. Is there any footage of that? No, sir, the technician confirmed but is currently being reviewed due to the accident to rule out foul play. I need special permission to access it. Promptly eyeing the director to his side, he watched as they started to fidget nervously. Now, I, I understand the impulse to, to review that footage, my lord, but the investigation is still ongoing and we really must reassure the public first that- Mix or a Boreas, he cut in coldly. 
the dark, snapping irritably in time with his own flaring mood. Both my head engineer and four students, amongst them the Quara Air, are under pursuit from a mercenary company that will not hesitate to employ lethal measures to capture their targets. If you continue to be resistant to our efforts to locate them before the mercenary company does, I will henceforth assume that you are sympathetic to their cause, and execute you on the spot as a traitor of that caliber would deserve. Truthfully, he should have probably executed the uncooperative station master three disagreements ago, and he wasn't quite sure what was even stopping him from carrying that thought through and procuring the aid of someone more agreeable, but he suspected that, like always, it had something to do with Luke. Not to mention that his little star would have done this better, any of this and all of it. The child had a gift for diplomacy and the crafting of allies from even the most obstinate of personalities, and would have gained Mixarboreus's cooperation far swifter while exercising more patience and understanding. He, unfortunately, was not Luke, and possessed neither the patience nor understanding to handle the station matter in a more delicate manner at the moment something that they themselves finally seemed to realize as well, as their mouth snapped shut with a click, fear spiking into terror, and if there hadn't been any fur to speak of, Vader believed he would have seen them pale as well. The surveillance room was deathly silent, with only the monitors and computers whirring away in the background, and fear held the people present in its icy grip, the dark rumbling in satisfaction at the rich meal it presented. Loosening his grip on the rumbling darkness, he let it flare in time with his own signature, and it gleefully twisted through the room and surrounding hallways like a serpent, snapping at any fear, anger, and panic it could get a hold of. He, however, only had eyes for the cowering station master. Have I made myself clear, Mixoraboreus? he growled, leaning further into their space while the dark writhed in agreement. The Bothan mewed out a terrified squeak, rapidly bobbing their head in agreement. It would have to do. Then I expect you to grant access to the footage to technician. He briefly brushed over the young Twi'lek's mind, and like with so many others, her name jumped right out. Imra, he continued, never missing a beat in the conversation while Imra herself abruptly startled at the mention of her last name. She wasn't the only one, evidently, as Arboreus's own eyes widened to the size of saucers, revealing the sclera. How did you... They began, eyes twitching over to a stock still Imra, but he was having exactly none of that. The footage, Nix Ouroboreus. Right, the station manager abruptly squeaked. Of course, my lord. They hastily turned towards Imra and barked at an ordering quarry that he understood to mean that there was hopefully, finally, going to be some progress in this case. Finally. General Veers groaned, echoing his own sentiment, and he inclined his head in agreement. The footage was quickly brought up by the technician, and as she began to roll it, they finally got their first clear look at Luke and the missing students. With a camera that was clearly positioned closer to the ground, they had a better angle and quality of the shots, getting to see the children in a sharper resolution than ever before. They looked surprisingly good. There were no major injuries visible, and although their clothes looked to have been thoroughly scuffed and rumpled and altered, even the head wraps that so closely resembled the Tatooine style couldn't obscure that they were looking altogether healthy, alert, and as safe as could be while being pursued by bounty-hunting mercenaries. And Luke. Even in the paused footage, his little star was in the middle of what was quite obviously a scan of the crowds, keeping the students positioned closely behind himself and in a protective range, eyes sharp and piercing. 
It wasn't the usual manner of his home, so lacking in joy and good spirits, but it was clearly him, and he couldn't help but note, it was him in a flight. It said something about him he knew, that the mere sight of it was enough to send a jolt of conflicting worry and pride through his system, and he nearly attempted to reach out towards Luke again across their bond, despite knowing that nothing would return to him. But Force, he was so proud of his home, and wished so dearly to let it be known. This was his home, and his home was a runner. How could he not be proud? It was almost enough to make him forget that a runner would protect their charges with their life. A murderous faction of bounty-hunting mercenaries was after them, and Luke was evading them with an expertise that meant that there was a very real possibility of them not finding the missing children until it was already too late. The key word in that entire thought was clearly almost. So they used the southern exit, he muttered lowly. Is there any footage from aboard the elevator? Yes, sir, Technician Emer revealed. But it's still in the process of being reconstructed. The cameras were damaged in the sudden storm winds, and large parts of the footage were corrupted, some beyond the point of repair. The dark hissed out its displeasure, and he was in complete agreement with it, but there was no other option but to wait for the footage reconstruction to be done unless they were willing to comb through the whole neighborhood, a task they neither had the time nor the immediate manpower for. Beep. 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 All eyes shot over to the station master as their comm shrieked out a sharp alarm, quickly fumbling for their comm as their panic spiked. They pressed the button to accept the call. What? They barely had time to bark out before the slightly hysterical voice of a station employee could be heard on the other end. Sir, the caller choked out. Sir, they found two bodies. There were two bodies hidden in the bushes, and they looked to have been like they have been, like they might have been murdered, sir. What? The station master's eyes widened even further, bulging out of their face with terror as the news registered. Has the press found out? They asked urgently, and Vader nearly recoiled at the question, the dark snarling along in offense. Has anyone- <laughs> The dark wrapped tightly around their neck, squeezing just hard enough to have the bothing clawing at it while he plucked the calm from their hands, carelessly letting them drop the moment it landed in his palm to catch their breath as they gasped and coughed for air. What is the state of the bodies, and what is their description? He asked instead, gesturing for the general to begin taking notes, which the man dutifully did. The employee on the other side of the calm fell silent for a split second, and when he reached out along the intangible connection, he could feel a faint haze of confusion. I'm sorry, they said, but who is this? He let two cycles of his respirator pass, and was gratified when the cursed thing fulfilled its one useful purpose, the person attempting to stammer out a fearful apology not even moments later. Dispense with the pleasantries, he ordered them curtly. Answer the questions instead. Yes, my lord, they obeyed. Both bodies appear to, to have been dead for only a couple of hours, I, I think. They're both, both human, about twenty or, or so, I think. Force, no. And the one is missing an eye, and the other is... Has... Enough, he ordered, barely able to parse the words through the worsening stammer and his own growing concern, the person falling silent with a whimper. Preserve the bodies as they are, do not move them, and let no one touch or otherwise interact with them or the place they were found in. We are en route to your location. Yes, my lord, the person whimpered out. And then with an irritated jab, he cut the connection, 
dropping the calm next to the hunched-over form of Mixoroboreus and briefly inclining his head towards the young Twi'lek. My gratitude for your assistance, Technician Imra, he acknowledged curtly, making a mental note to see her diligence rewarded. If nothing else, he wouldn't see the sniveling station master take the credit for what was solely her achievement. My, my pleasure, my lord, she returned with a bow of her head, masking her stammer nearly in its entirety, and satisfaction wove together with pride to stifle out most of her fear for a moment. Intriguing. She could go far if she allowed that spirit to carry her. He headed for the door, determined to get to the southern exit as soon as he could to either confirm or dispute his worst fears about those two corpses. But at another rasping cough from the station master, he turned back one last time. Coldly eyeing the wretched heap of spineless egotism, he barely found it within himself to restrain the dark from finishing the job. I believe it rather needless to say, Station Master Ouroboreus, that I will be taking over the investigation from here on out, he informed them coldly, narrowing his eyes. As well as any press relations, I bid you a good day. Striding out of the room without further notice and General Veers in his wake, he mentally mapped out the route they would need to take while pulling out his own comm and dialing Piet. While the comm connected, he quickly gestured for the two commanders and medic to break the guard they had formed outside the surveillance room and rejoin them once more. The comm connected, and it was a relief to hear a voice belonging to a person he knew possessed sanity and competence after having to manage the station master's incompetent vanity. My lord, Piet greeted promptly. Awaiting his orders. Inform the task force that Luke left Water Crystal Station through the southern exit and elevator. He spoke into the comm while stalking through the station with long strides. They are looking for a group of five, wearing white head wraps that hide both the heads and part of their faces, two of whom are visibly armed, and one of whom is wearing a modified blast vest. Luke has been employing evasive maneuvers as well, rendering them impossible to properly trace with the utilization of facial recognition software. They will need to be located manually. Understood, my lord. Pien replied promptly. I will inform the task force promptly. Are there any other matters? Two corpses have been found within the southern elevator, both of which are reported to appear to be murder victims. We are en route to investigate and determine if this is of any relevance to our own search, he continued. And he couldn't even begin to think about adding that both corpses were suspected to be around twenty. He couldn't or he feared what he might do. Yes, my lord. Piet agreed. Should I instruct the reinforcements being sent by the Quara family to meet you there? Reinforcements from the Quaras? That could be either a blessing or a curse. Do they understand the gravity of the situation? They do, my lord. They were personally instructed by the Quara couple themselves, and are determined to locate the missing group above all else. Piet replied. The tapping of fingers on a screen filtering through the calm speakers. They're prepared to depart at a moment's notice from their headquarters, and I have the orders drafted. Should I send them? Yes, he decided. And that they ought to arrive in a timely manner, as we will not be waiting for them should we conclude our investigation. Native to the city or not, specialized or not, he wasn't about to waste any time that could be spent looking for his little star. Yes, my lord. A quick series of taps followed, and a final, firmer tap. They're on notice, and will arrive shortly. Good luck, my lord. He gave a quick dismissal and ended the connection, pocketing his comlink again while lengthening his stride through the station corridors. Plans were quickly starting to form in his mind, some more plausible than others, and he began patching together the best of them into something workable. 
Kicks, can I assume that you will be able to perform an autopsy of some accuracy in the field? He asked while sweeping around the corner towards the staff-only entrance he had parked the speeder at. If those bodies are of any relevance to our own endeavors, we will require a thorough report on them. If there's nothing too complicated about the deaths in question, Kick shot back. Sure, I should be able to pinpoint the likely cause of death, or at least get pretty damn close with the kill I have. But if it's less than obvious, we'll have to send the stiffs to a lab to let the specialist paint a picture of what brought them to their end. That would have to be enough. Do what you can, he ordered bluntly, speeding up the pace even further. Affirmative. Kick shot back. And he hoped, truly hoped, that Kicks will be able to give them a report on the bodies, whether they be civilian, mercenary, or student. He couldn't even begin to think of what he would do if it was something other than those three options, and frantically sent out another pulse through their quiet bond, receiving only a chilling, echoing silence back. Force, let it not be. Luke was simply in deep cover, running a flight, and that's all there was to that silence. That was all. It had to be. And he could feel that he wasn't the only one who was desperately trying to think about anything but that. General Veers had been quiet ever since the call concerning the newfound corpses had come in, but his force signature spoke measures in his voice's stead. Wild and worried and roiling like a sea at storm, he was far from the only person present who had connected the suspected age of the bodies back to the age of one of their wards. Any composure the general had regained had vanished in an instant, and as much as he loathed it, he could admit that his own reaction was more like Veers's than he would prefer. Thankfully, the speeder wasn't much farther away, and he stepped back into it and the pilot seat as his men installed themselves in the back in preparation for takeoff, refocusing on the immediate moment. Barely waiting for everyone to be seated, he opened the throttles and took off, the speeder leaping forward at breakneck speeds. Perhaps it was overdoing it for the short distance they had to travel to the ground, perhaps it might even be reckless, perhaps he didn't care in the slightest. And perhaps it was just the slightest bit amusing to feel the general panic in all manner of ways as he clutched to the co-pilot's seat to the point of tearing holes in the upholstery. It was clear to see that the man was a ground trooper through and through, ill-suited to the open skies even when it was perfectly safe, or at least mostly safe. He tore through the skies at what were no doubt speeds far exceeding the limit, the dark flaring out around him and nudging the speeder whenever the mechanics of the craft came up a tad too short in order to perform like he wanted it to. Information filled his every sense as the skies opened up in front of him, and if necessary, he knew he could fly this thing blind. Weaving through the exhaust trails of the station's own repulsors as the dial readily began pushing the 200 clicks per hour, he pushed the yoke sharply down. In mere seconds, the ground was dawning in front of them, the speeder nosediving at an angle that would have made any other pilot abort the approach or prey. He had time for neither, and Veers certainly seemed to be doing enough desperate praying for the both of them. Instead of the fiery crash the general was no doubt expecting, he pulled the craft up at the last second and swung it around into a perfect park, disengaging the main thrusters and leaving the vehicle in its hover mode. We have arrived, he notified everyone, a bit unnecessarily, granted, but he took some pleasure and satisfaction from doing so. With the flick of two buttons, he released the straps, keeping him secure into his chair and opened the doors, the large mechanisms loosening with a pneumatic hiss and slowly pulling upwards. The sounds of a gathered crowd promptly greeted him, as well as the rapid approach of footsteps. Sir, sir, you can't park here, a voice called out. And with a huff, he stepped out of the speeder and into the light of day, staring down the station employee that had jogged towards them with a determination that was now rapidly deflating. This is a cr- 
a rhyme scene. The young man stumbled to a halt and caped up at him with wide eyes and a slack jaw, words entirely forgotten. I am aware, he returned testily. I will be taking control of said scene from here on out. The employee squeaked, nodded, and hastily scurried away, leaving a trail of fear behind him and not even so much as directions towards where the bodies were found. Oh, Cody muttered as he walked up behind him alongside the other troopers. Tough luck for him. Perhaps, but none of that was his concern. We need to secure the site, he ordered while stepping forwards towards where the crowds were gathered around the elevator platform. Ensure that no one contaminates the potential crime scene or that any witnesses leave. All of you with me. It was time to get to the bottom of this and hopefully find a clue as to Luke's whereabouts. The crowds around the platform were dense, people being treated for minor and major wounds alike, and more than a couple of thrill-seekers clustering around the edges of where the elevator was being investigated, and like a flock of scavengers. A brush of his own presence against theirs but a quick stop to the endless chattering and gossiping, the jittery excitement of the crowd at sensationalism and spectacle quieting down as it was diluted with a tense unease that the dark all too happily helped facilitate. When he reached the edges of the crowd, the mood was such that most people in his immediate vicinity parted with barely a sound, fearful eyes and gasps making themselves heard from every corner as he made his way through. He resented the being he had been made into, but at least in these moments he could admit that the distinct appearance of his armor made for a useful tool of intimidation. They were able to make their way to the elevator without delay or hassle, docked in what appeared to be an enormous basin and crawling with engineers and technicians. Even just from casual observation he could tell that the main components being checked were the altitude stabilizers and gyroscopes, and he wondered what they would find from the incident. They were able to make their way to the elevator without delay or hassle, docked in what appeared to be an enormous basin and crawling with engineers and technicians. Even just from casual observation, he could tell that the main components being checked were the attitude stabilizers and gyroscopes, and he wondered what they would find from the incident. An entire repulsor lifted island nearly being knocked clean out of the sky in a city that he could only assume was thoroughly prepared for gale force winds was something to wonder about. Nevertheless, it wasn't his priority, and he proceeded through the storm-wrecked center of the elevator towards where the distress of the people on it was the strongest. Off to the side, only just behind what he assumed to be the operator's cabin, there was a small group of employees clutched together into a loose living wall, blocking any access to the concealed and covert space behind the house and stone outcroppings. The dark swooped in, curling itself around the place, and the sensation of lingering death was unmistakable. That feeling of stillness where there had previously been a presence really couldn't be confused for anything else, and while it would dissipate over the next couple of days, for now it marked the location of the corpses as clear as any grave marker, indicating the side of the house to the troopers with a simple gesture. Cody and Apo didn't waste any of their time with affirmations, instead treading forwards at an increased pace to set up a loose perimeter around the scene of death, something which served to alert the employees on guard to their presence as well, as two fully armored stormtroopers announcing their arrival by setting up a perimeter was not something easily missed. One of the employees, evidently a stroke braver than their peers, came up towards them, afraid but determined. My lord, they greeted with a quick bow at the waist, technician Torsdrusi at your service. I assume you are here for the bodies. You assume correctly, he rumbled, offering Derusi a polite nod in return. They straightened up and swallowed down their fear, nodding firmly. Then please, follow me. With a gesture, he acquiesced to the request and bade them to lead on. 
Spinning on their heel, Derosi promptly marched off towards the place marked by the lingering presence of death. In a shaded and secluded part of the elevator just behind the operator house, a flower bed had been hastily sectioned off with hazard tape, and looking a little closer he could see the first hint of two bodies laid down side by side, neither of them possessing a head of light, sun-bleached hair. The relief that swept through him crashed into his psyche like a tidal wave, and for once the dark seemed to be crooning in similar relief as well. It wasn't Luke. Neither of the bodies were Luke. Thank the Force. He sighed, static blaring from his vocoder and startling the technician, but finding it echoed by Veers, whose feelings of relief flooded the Force much like his own, momentarily overwhelming everything else. Neither of them had lost someone this time. It was enough to almost make him forget about all the autopsies that still needed to be performed. Almost, once again, being the keyword. Drifting through the relief, he reached out with the dark and removed the detritus covering up the two corpses, revealing two bodies that couldn't be any of the students even by the furthest reaches. The cause of death for one immediately became obvious, with one eye missing in its entirety and leaving behind not much more than a bloody hole filled with viscera. As far as he could determine, someone had pierced both the eye and the skull with something narrow and sharp likely killing them instantly. But there was no need to rely on his own inexpert opinions, and with a wave of his hand, he beckoned Kix to step forward and begin his work, which the medic promptly did. Swinging his pack off of his back and clicking the case open, Kix began pulling out all manner of medical implements to begin the autopsies. All right, Stiss, he grunted as he crouched down next to the two bodies. Let's see what into the two are you, huh? Darusi, he called over his shoulder towards the technician. Any additional information on these two? Like when they were found? Not too much, sir, the technician replied, crossing their arms and looking discomforted as Kix began to carefully maneuver the gaping mouth into something less viscerally horrifying to the general public and securing it in place with a strip of bandage tied under the chin. We found them about twenty minutes ago while clearing debris on the elevator. Charlie over there pulled away a branch and was promptly greeted by the blank and the bloody eyes of, well, that... They pointed helplessly towards where Kix was now attempting to close the eyes of both corpses before eventually giving up. Well, it looks like Rigor Mortis has seriously set in with how much these guys did not want to move their jaws and eyelids, he noted. So, I'd say they've been dead for between two to four hours. The medic tilted his head as pensive thoughts began to set in. Of course, there's the temperature to contend with, so let's spend the time at two to three hours. Cause of death! He asked curtly. Kix's visor glanced over to him, and a flash of annoyance made itself known. Give me a moment, would you? He muttered mutinously, turning back to the bodies with a sigh. Well, obviously one of them died from a severe penetrating trauma through the left eye socket. Right to you and me, inflicting a complete globe rupture in the process, and... He paused to pull out a pair of medical tweezers, carefully pushing aside the bloody mess in the eye socket and inducing a gag response from Derusi. Oh, yeah, he muttered. Yep, punctured straight through the skull and into the brain. Definitely wrecked his optic nerve, temporal lobe, and hippocampus, and probably wrecked everything up to his brainstem tooth. Whatever did the puncturing was long, moved around in there, it was oddly shaped. Kick sighed. Honestly, he was probably dead in seconds. And if he wasn't, he was definitely dead only minutes afterwards and conscious for none of it. A clean kill, then. 
With what the mercenaries had shown themselves to be so far, and with the assumed inexperience of the students in combat, this mercenary was likely one of Luke's own kills, which made the one lying next to it just as likely a candidate for that same distinction. And the other, he asked, a theory starting to form. Kix clicked his tongue in disapproval, but obligingly began to examine the other body. All right, let's see, he muttered. Only a single puncture wound to the neck from what I can see. That's a deep one. He tilted his head and moved the body to get a better angle of observation. It seems that whatever punctured the neck reached down all the way into the carotid artery, but there's far too little blood for him to have died as a result from blood loss. Humming pensively, Kix began examining the rest of the body, cutting away clothes and then armor alike to get to the skin below, blinking at what was revealed. Even with his lenses coloring everything red, Vader could tell that the largely unblemished and undamaged torso wasn't what Kix had been expecting to see, and the surprised sound confirmed it. Well then, Kix muttered, poking and prodding at the torso before gently pressing down on the ribcage. No fractures, no bruises, no internal bleeding as far as I can tell. He backed the clothes back over the mercenary as best he could and refocused on the neck injury. One moment, he said turning back to his pack and detaching the lining holding the simpler medical equipment from the inside of his pack, revealing a portable medical analyzer. Firing up the machine with the presses and flips of several buttons and switches, Kix took the time of the boot-up sequence to disinfect his gauntlets with an antiseptic spray. All right, mystery men, he muttered as the analyzer ejected a slide for use. Let's see what secrets you hold. Unpacking a sterile scalpel from its packaging, the medic collected some of the blood off of the wound, scraping it onto the slide and inserting it right back into the analyzer. The hollow display on the device promptly came to life, and Kix began filling in the necessary information of what type of biological material was on the slide, blood, what species it belonged to, human, the approximate age and estimated gender of the subject, early twenties and androgynous, as well as the status of the subject, dead. Drumming his fingers on the side of the analyzer as it began to run its processes, Vader noted that despite the irritable demeanor the medic was affecting, his curiosity and engagement spoke for themselves within the Force. No matter what Kick suspected this man's cause of death to be, it was clear that it was engrossing the medic fully in its mystery. At last, the analyzer chimed to signal the completion of its analysis of the sample, and Kix promptly hit the display option. All right, he said, rubbing his hands together. Let's see what we got. All right, red blood cell concentrations, normal. Oxygen levels, non-existent. Kix muttered. Obviously. But what fucking shit. Shock and surprise flared like fireworks within the medic, and Vader blinked in surprise as the man actually reared back in alarm, visors switching rapidly between the display and the body. I take it you found something, medic Kix, he asked idly. You could say that, sir. He agreed. You could really fucking say that. He made another strangled sound and shook his head. Where the fuck would you even find these kinds of concentrations of TTX? Ah. So the mercenary had been poisoned by a particularly potent toxin, if he was reading Kix's reaction correctly. He narrowed his eyes at the analyzer and made a mental note to ask Luke where and how he had procured such a toxin. I take it our corpse's cause of death can be noted down as poisoning, he suggested lightly. No shit, sir, Kix promptly exclaimed, drawing a wince from several people around him, Jim Veers in particular flinching at Kix's words, 
rather unnecessarily in his opinion. He wasn't about to attack his best medic over some foul language. There's enough neurotoxin in this stiff's body to kill a hope for two in minutes. Neurotoxin? Derosa yelped. Did I stutter? Kick snapped at the technician. It's right there in the hollow. There's a concentration of TTX in here. Or at least something damn close to it that's literally off the charts. Is there anything else in the blood that should not be there? He interrupted the medic before he could go off on a tirade. Kix once again looked at him, and even with the visor in the way, the caustic irritation flaring high and bright in the force more than gave away the fact that there was a vicious glare underneath. Nonetheless, the medic followed orders and looked back at the screen, scrolling through the results. Anything else? He mumbled scathingly under his breath. Yes, because the lethal levels of TTX aren't enough already. General Veers coughed uncomfortably from where he was standing, and Vader rolled his eyes behind the security of his mask. Enough kicks, he admonished, and the mech promptly lowered his commentary to a volume that was low enough to be inaudible for nearly all around, but definitely still continued on. Rumbling out his own low warning sound, Kix finally ceased his grumblings while scrolling through the results of the test. A few seconds went by before Kix grunted in surprise. Well, would you look at that? He muttered. Medic Kix? He prompted lightly. There's high levels of something in the blood as well. Kix divulged, selecting one particular line from the list and scrutinizing the graphs that were pulled up. The analyzer is putting it under both categories of soporific and anesthetic. Whatever it is, it's safe to say that it put this guy right to sleep. Probably even before he would have lost consciousness due to a lack of oxygen. Another clean kill then, or at least a merciful one. Luke seems to be creating something of a pattern here. Then again, he supposed that his home wasn't so much an assassin by choice as he was by necessity. In the protection of one's charges, there were a few lengths a runner wasn't willing to go, at least according to his mother. It seemed that Luke was proving those tales right. Technician Nerusi, he addressed while staring at the two bodies, the abrupt flare of surprise and a sudden resurgence of both fear and determination telling him exactly when the technician jumped to action. Remove all personnel and yourself from the immediate site, and ensure that they do not interfere. I'm declaring any information pertaining to these corpses under confidentiality until further notice. Should any relevant information be obtained or disclosed without a proper security clearance and permission, it will be classified as a felony and prosecuted as such. Yes, my lord, Technician Derussi agreed carefully. I will see to it. With that, they promptly scurried off to remove their fellow employees from the site and presumably instructed them all to give it a wide berth. Flaring out his own presence, he took note of all signatures in the immediate area and whether or not they were in the effective hearing range of anything that was about to be discussed. Confidential, oh, sir. Kix muttered while looking up from his hollow display. Indeed, he confirmed while observing the two bodies, still laid out in what was almost a peaceful repose if it weren't for the lifeless eyes and still slightly gaping mouths. Waiting only a moment longer until all relevant signatures were far enough away, he disclosed his line of thought. I have reason to believe that the killer of both these mercenaries is Luke. Silence. Come again, my lord? General Veers asked weakly. You heard me perfectly well the first time, General Veers. He retorted calmly while still observing the corpses. Luke had both the skills and tools necessary to commit murders in this style. And as we know, he was aboard the elevator at the approximate time these two mercenaries would have expired. He had the motive, the means, 
and the abilities to kill both of these men unseen, and then hide the corpses. He looked up to face the general, idly taking note of how the general was both disturbed, alarmed, and paradoxically resigned by that information. Curious. As far as I am concerned, it appears to be a rather open and shut case. Veers's visor drifted down towards where Kix was still hunched over both bodies, discomforted, not by the death, it seemed, but by a growing understanding. Why am I not surprised that the lad is carrying around a neurotoxin strong enough to murder a whole platoon of troopers? He sighed tiredly, and that seems to be the final straw for the medic as Kix promptly stuck up his hand. Ah, yes. Not to interrupt, he interrupted, affecting a falsely pleasant tone. But what the fuck does that mean, sirs? He abruptly hissed. Since when is our Goran carrying around lethal toxins and soporifics in concentrations also high enough to murder people a normal thing? That matter is classified, he retorted coolly. Luke has his own reasons for it that are not mine to tell. But suffice to say that he carries them for situations like these, where he may be required to dispatch opponents in order to escape safely. Luke is not liable to start inflicting it on people outside of situations of self-defense or necessity, and that, he finished sharply, narrowing his eyes as he sensed Kicks gearing up to form a retort, is all you need to know on the matter, unless Luke elects to take you into his confidence, Medic Kicks. The medic settled back down, still harboring more than his fair share of dissatisfaction, but pacified for the moment. Yes, my lord. He agreed reluctantly. It would have to do. He considered the medic for a moment longer before dropping the matter and continuing on, or he would have if he hadn't abruptly felt multiple force signatures rapidly approaching the sectioned-off part of the elevator. Flaring out his presence to brush over these intruders, he found the curious matter of little to no fear present within them, instead finding a tightly woven tapestry of resolve, composure, and a certain kind of restrained fury. Odd and highly intriguing, especially when Cody's signature left his post to head towards them. Glancing up towards the corner, he was just in time to see the commander approach. My lord, Cody called out as he rounded the corner. There are people here for the Quara Guard. They say they're the reinforcements sent out by the Quara family in coordination with Admiral Piet. Should I allow them to pass? Allow them through, commander, he ordered, with the caveat that everything that is seen here is, until further notice, Classified as confidential and restricted to the wider public. Yes, sir. The commander saluted sharply and turned on his heel once more, marching back to beckon forward the curious force signatures. Three detached from the large group, and he could pinpoint the leader before they even rounded the corner. As he had suspected, the group that rounded the corner consisted of three quarter guards, though thankfully dressed in a less conspicuous uniform than the ones that they had been dressed in at the exhibition a basilisk, a togruta, and a weakway. Quite the interesting collection of figures, and judging by the marks upon their uniforms, some of the Quara's best. The weakway stepped forward, and brushing against their signature, Vader was pleased to see that while her name did jump out, it was far more muted than usual. She had a strong grip on her mental faculties then. Good. Guard Captain Alana Ritzel, he greeted with a dip of his head, and despite her best efforts, the captain couldn't hide the falter in her steps at his recognition of her, nor how her facial plaint shifted. Greetings. Lord Vader, she returned with a polite curtsy. It's an honor. 
Not quite the truth, but not quite a lie either. How intriguing. She straightened up out of her curtsy and briefly indicated her two companions. Allow me to introduce First Class Guards Narubalu and Theron Nirin. He greeted the basilisk and Togruta guards respectively, nodding towards the two and leaving all three somewhat unnerved. The dark snapped eagerly at their burgeoning fears, ready to stoke them up until they flared high and wild and feed on them all at once. But he reined it in with a firm hand. These people were to be allies in their search for Luke, rendering them nothing more than gibbering madmen would be the opposite of conductive to that goal. Yes, Captain Ritzel confirmed, wariness creeping into both her signature and voice. I see how the names precede us. Kix promptly covered up a laugh with a poorly executed cough, drawing the attention of everyone as well as his own annoyance. Did he have to be crude about expressing his disbelief? That would be Medic Kix, he introduced icily. And he could feel Kix's amusement despite the man's ostensibly deferential dip of his head. As well as General Veers, he said, indicating the general who seems to be watching the entire situation with a mix of resigned acceptance and pity. Something he suspected his unusually lax approach to the Force was largely responsible for, as the General's signature tended to flare around those times. A pleasure, Theos greeted back, inclining his own head with a rueful tilt. Wish it was under better circumstances, but we take what we can get. Indeed, Ritzel agreed, still eyeing him warily, and he could swear the Dark was grinning back at her with sharp amusement. Which is what we were sent to assist with. She straightened up and saluted sharply. The locating and safe recovery of Tyrion Quarrelt is our utmost priority, my lord, she told him boldly. And he could at least appreciate the veracity of that statement. Nonetheless, if the group of missing youths has stuck together, I believe we can be of significant assistance to one another. That they could. The Quarter Guard would have access to the native population of the city in ways they would never have. But on the other side of the argument, he knew that the guard would need his ability to cut through the red tape and sanction any actions of questionable legality to truly make the headway they desired, and, unbeknownst to them, his minimal knowledge of what they were truly up against. Not mere terrified students on the run with an engineer, but a runner and charges who had gone to ground. Agreed, he rumbled to the captain in return. But there was one more thing to discuss. I believe that Commander Cody has informed you of the situation already? He wouldn't have them endangering his little star's secret. He did, Fritzel confirmed. And we understand what will be required of us, as well as the consequences should we break confidentiality. We're prepared to sign or swear to anything that might be required of us. Excellent. General Veers, he prompted. I've sent the request for temporary clearance to Piet, sir. Veers replied while typing away at the keypad on his gauntlet. He'll send the relevant file to their comms, as well as placing a gag altar. True to his word, bare seconds later the comms of all three guards buzzed with the arrival of a new priority message, both to the guard's surprise and his own satisfaction. The good admiral was particularly on the mark today. He would have to make note of that during the salary review later this month. These will be your files, he noted lightly. I suggest reading them before you attempt anything else. With the veiled threat hanging in the air to be interpreted by the guards' imagination as they saw fit, the guards quickly began reading through the basic information files Piet had sent them, notifying them of what little rights they had under a gag order. While they were preoccupied with that, he directed his attention towards Kix, 
who had been watching the proceedings with great amusement. Contact the nearest morgue, he ordered quietly. Instruct them to come retrieve the corpses, but to refrain from performing a thorough autopsy, processing the bodies beyond identification and informing the next of kin of their passing. Until both Luke and the other students have been found, the causes of their deaths are to remain as nebulous as possible. Kick shot him a salute and promptly went to work contacting the nearest location possessing of a morgue to send for two unidentified murder victims as well as preparing the bodies for transport. With any luck, it would be the nearby garrison. If not, well, he knew that Kix was well aware of how to strategically use his name and various documents to ensure that no one would dare defy the orders within, something which, in exchange for loyal service over two decades, he occasionally turned a blind eye to when used by the medic for less than relevant ends. With that handled, he glanced up to where the guards were finishing up the last of the reading of their information files. With a couple of taps, Balu and Niren set their electronic signatures under the file, the comm sending a copy back to Piet for archival purposes. Ritzel, however, seemed to be having some reservations as her facial plates twitched and shifted with her expressions. Eventually, though, she signed it all the same. Much obliged, he rumbled as the final file was sent. The document you just signed will, of course, dissolve in part once Luke and the missing students have been found and are in protective custody. The words were entirely sincere in their truth, but he watched in mild amusement as his voice nonetheless sent shivers of discomfort and twinges of fear throughout the guards. It seemed that even they had the good sense to be wary of him then. Good. That would make the upcoming partnership a far more composed affair than he had first anticipated. Why do I feel like I just made a pact with a demon? Balu muttered under her breath, clenching both sets of her hands, and Vader could feel the dark hiss out its own vicious amusement. It seemed that their new allies were rather unused to working around the audio-enhancing properties of both his own armor and the suitor. Probably because we did, Niren muttered back, glancing warily around as his force signature twitched nervously. He rumbled out a low sound, knowing that the guards would be unfamiliar enough with his mannerisms to mistake his amusement for a threat. You did, he confirmed in a rumble that was nearly a growl, seeing no point in denying the truth. He knew well what he was, and clearly so did they. The guards predictably blanched at his comment, and the captain stiffened as protectiveness flared to life within her, but he had no interest in playing in on her fears any further, not when there was work to be done. The dark grumbled in displeasure, but with the prospect of resuming the search of the little star, it apparently seems to be willing to forego a meal. A cursory autopsy was only just conducted on both corpses you see here, he informed them flatly. They're of the mercenary company that has targeted the missing group, and were in all probability killed by their target in self-defense. They will be sent to the nearest borg with special instructions shortly. Balu dropped any remaining nervousness swiftly and scrutinized the two corpses, suspicion arising within her immediately. Two kills, she muttered. I take it that one of the other missing people must have higher offensive capabilities than Tyrion. Agreed, Ritzel muttered, and she quickly glanced over to Niren. No offense to your teaching capabilities, Theron, she assured. Niren merely shrugged as he looked down at the corpses with a pensive expression. None taken, he returned. The kid is good enough in a one-on-one schoolyard scrap, but against these guys, he shook his head, someone else did this. And wasn't that an interesting interaction? 
The general seemed to agree as he cocked his head, interest flaring as an idea began to form within the man. I take it you lot know the Quora air pretty well, then, to be saying that? The general asked carefully, and Vader found himself agreeing. This kind of familiarity was not bred between impersonal guards and a hapless ward. Ritzel eyed Veers warily but nodded. We do, she confirmed. We're the ones who watch over Tyrion whenever he isn't present at school. We would have been present at the exhibition as well, but... She trailed off uncomfortably and made a gesture to the three of them, a seemingly uncharacteristic thread of self-consciousness weaving its way through first her, and then all three of their signatures, painting the picture quite well. Her faceplates twitched alongside her signature as she regained the lost slip of composure. In either case, we were sent this time due to our familiarity with Tyrion, as well as our proven skill level. Our apologies if our presence is out of line with any government policies. General Veers winced in equal measures of discomfort and disgust, and he could feel kicks grimacing behind his mask with a familiar disgusted vexation, something he more than agreed with. Why his master would insist on a humans-only policy within much of the legal framework of the Empire, he would never understand. It was both grossly inefficient by nearly having the pool of potential workforces to draw from, as well as completely nonsensical. There was no kind of scientific backing for the assertion that humans were simply more capable and intelligent than any other species. He should know. He had done his due diligence research after the policy had first been announced, and if it hadn't been in place, perhaps this whole situation could have been avoided, at least in part. There will be no need for apologies, he dismissed. And he raised an eyebrow when he promptly felt the relief of the general. It seemed he wasn't the only one with a distaste for the policy, which marked a point in Veers's favor. And for future reference for your employers, he added on before he could fully process the words. There will be no need to enforce said policy within my presence. All three of the guards blinked their vastly different eyes in surprise, staring at him and considering his words with something approximating cautious hope. I'll admit that wasn't the expected reaction, my lord, Balu noted hesitantly. Imperial protocol for official functions is usually pretty uncompromising in this regard. It was, but he wasn't. I am well aware of that, God Baloo, he noted mildly. But I am not my master. In all my years of service, I have never encountered a situation where someone's species made them incapable of acting in the role they had chosen. I would rather that any staffing decisions made for events where I am to represent the Empire's interests reflect practicality than be tailored to delicate sensibilities that could result in critical oversights. Ritzel blinked, but her eyes quickly sharpened as she offered a slow nod. Of course, my lord, she agreed. I will ensure that our employers are informed of said preference. There was consideration brewing within her undoubtedly weighing his words for what they were worth, but he had little concern for such matters right now. Politics and the failings of it could wait to be discussed until after they had handled all actually relevant matters. See that you do, he returned, dismissing the conversation and turning back to the matter at hand. In either case, it is not particularly relevant to us at the moment, as we ought to focus our efforts on locating the missing youths. That we can agree on. Ritzel said as she surveyed the scene. I sent the division to take control of the scene upon arrival. They should have completed that task by now, and will be ready to report any abnormalities they've found. 
kick snorted as he finished preparing the bodies for transport, packing away his equipment back into its transport case. Can't be much more abnormal that won't be found in these stiffs, he noted, glancing up towards him. Since they're under a gag order, I take it I can tell them what I found, sir. In the interest of cooperation, he permitted with a nod of his head. Yeah, wouldn't want the new partners to get off because they didn't know not to approach the Garan warily in case he injected them with enough neurotoxin to kill them and their ghosts several times over. Kix agreed. Hold up, Niren cut in, mandrels twitching. Neurotoxin? I know you heard me the first time, Kix answered the guard testily. Yes, neurotoxin. More specifically, TTX. Or something close to it. Or at least, close enough to it and far enough removed from anything else that the analyzer couldn't make anything else of it. That one. He gestured to the corpse with only an injection site wound. Died because someone pumped enough of it into his system to kill a whole platoon. Some seriously powerful soporifics too. But it's the lethal toxin that I believe should concern us the most. He finished with his visor pointedly twitching over to Vader. I had my reasons, he countered. The addition of the soporific confirmed what I had already suspected. That these were kills made by Luke. The guard sputtered out various surprised sounds, but he had to admit that Baloo's startled croak out of her throat pouch was the most impressive of them. The engineer! Niren exclaimed. Sweet mother of... Baloo muttered as she stared at the two corpses. Do I even want to know what's an unusual engineering kit in training in the military? Not this. I can assure you that much. General Veers added in. Whatever the lad is capable of, it's news to both me and the medic, too. But not to you, my lord, Ritzel slowly added, piecing the puzzle together as her head slowly turned to face him again. At least, I assume. Correct. But they are not my secrets to divulge, he answered. Needless to say, however, is that Luke is far more skilled in the art of stealth and defense of both himself and others than many would expect. Our search for them will neither be straightforward nor allow for any mistakes. The group will have gone to ground under Luke's instructions, and will be doing everything within their power to be both as evasive and swift as possible. Sweet force, Bala muttered while setting two of her arms on her hips and the next sat at her elbows. I hate to say it, sir, she muttered towards the captain, but this might be more of a challenge than the usual search and rescue it appeared to be. We're well past that point, Balu. Richel shot back before turning to him. Indeed, he agreed, flaring out his presence and focusing in on the signatures he could now recognize as guards milling around the public, taking control of the area. And with the numbers you have brought, it will not be easy to maneuver through the whole city at the swiftness we will need to maintain, unless we use them with wit. Ritzel's faceplates shifted into a distinctly curious expression, and a calculating air slipped over her, shrouding the cautious hope within. We stand at your command, my lord. And that was certainly an interesting development. For the local authorities to willingly comply with intergalactic ones was unusual, to say the least. What do you have in mind? The swarm strategy, he answered promptly, drawing his own presence back in before he could cause a mass panic once the public shields could no longer withstand the weight of his touch. General Veers hummed lowly and nodded. A head of several scouts who can act swift on the foot while the body trails behind and does the heavy lifting once the scene the scouts point them towards. He summed up for the confused-looking guards. 
The name is based on the hunting practice of the Mitook species that lives on Corridor. Ravenous rodents that use swarming tactics in order to strip entire forest floors of potential prey wherever they tread. He shifted his attention towards him. Who would be commanding and making up which part of the swarm, my lord? I would volunteer for commanding the body of this swarm, Captain Ritzel offered immediately. With the amount of people in the division here on site, we'll be able to quickly take control of any area that became relevant to the search. We know the city, and will be able to follow behind discreetly. Seeing as the majority of the troopers currently planet-side are occupied with the site of the attack, I am inclined to agree, he said, tilting his head towards the captain. There are several abilities I possess that many others do not, that lend themselves well to tracking in this instance, so I will take the head for my reckoning. May I suggest you take Balu and Nirin with you as additional scouts, Ritzel immediately added on. They were both born and raised in Chitamaske and know the city like the back of their hands, in addition to having many contacts scattered all over the area. We would thank you for the consideration, Captain, he agreed. How does something have got strong stomachs? Kicks muttered while standing up, swinging his pack onto his shoulders, clicking the hard case into place. We've handled a body or two in our time, Bellow assured the medic frostily. I'm not talking about the stiffs, Kicks retorted. Invader knew the clone well enough to hear the raised eyebrow in his tone of voice. But you'll find out about that soon enough anyway, I suppose. They don't like the sound of that, Niren promptly declared, receiving two elbows to the side from below. No one does. Kix retorted blithely, and that was quite enough. Kix, he warned lowly. And the medic shut up, but not without what he suspected to be an eye roll from how exasperated the man's signature was. The guards were still present and every bit as baffled by the medic as he could reasonably expect someone to be, but he had had just about enough of Kix's insolence. He knew it was how Kix coped with the stressful and unfair situations he often had to engage in, but it was starting to try his patience beyond a reasonable degree. Rumbling out a last, low warning sound that had the guards blanching and Kix for once deferentially inclining his head, he returned to the matter at hand. I will take temporary command of guards Baloo and Niren, then, he replied to Ritzel, glancing over to Veers. Contact the Admiral and ensure that our communications networks are synchronized without having to go through a middleman, General. Veers promptly saluted and began to type away on the gauntlet. With that taken care of, it was on to the next matter. Captain, he addressed Ritzel. If your division will remain behind to take control of the scene, I assume they will take responsibility for directing the representatives of the morgue to the corpses when they arrive. I'd instruct them to keep an eye out, my lord, Ritzel agreed. They should have also collected the data from the investigation into the incident with the elevator, and corralled the people that were on it, that yielded useful information to the search. There were two mercenary corpses on the elevator and Luke had managed to use what was likely the distraction of the disturbance to kill the two mercenaries unseen. It could simply be a smoke trail, but the force was telling him otherwise. This time, where there was smoke, there was likely to be fire. Indeed it will, he rumbled lowly as an idea began to form, stepping out of the shadow of the operator house and murder scene, back into the light. Beckoning both Cody and Apo to rejoin the group, he considered his approach. The last time he had seen the passengers of the elevator, they had been sectioned off to the side by the station employees, away from the gawking crowds that had gathered to witness the spectacle. If the guard division had not herded them off too far, 
Their signatures ought to still be in roughly the same... Found them. Off to the southern side, there was a selection of souls still quite a bit more shaken than the gawking crowds, interspersed with various signatures that were radiating calm and professionalism. The dark promptly shot out to intertwine itself around each and every one of the signatures, inspecting them slowly while he made his approach, a plan taking form as suspicions took hold. Sir, Commander Cody greeted while keeping pace beside him. We hit everything while standing guard, he confessed while indicating both him and Apo. Do you really think that the Garan was the one to off them? Without a doubt, he answered, glancing to the side. Why do you ask, Commander? Because it would mean that we'd need to up our security protocols by quite a bit, sir, he returned. If the Garan could sneak this kind of poison past us and everyone else without anyone even suspecting it, and if the mercenaries could do so as well with various weapons, we clearly have a couple of holes in our security that need desperate patching. All good points, but not ones that were particularly useful in the moment. We will discuss those matters in the debriefing, Commander, he promised. But for now, focus on the mission. Yes, sir. Captain Ritzel, he commanded. You and your people had gathered what knowledge had come to light on the incident, correct? Yes, my lord, she confirmed. We have access to any diagnostic data that may have already been collected, as well as any that will join it. I suspected that it would prove useful to the search in one manner or another. You would be correct, he approved. Take General Veers with you and gather what information has been discovered. I have a suspicion of what may have truly happened here. Luke was a runner, sworn to the storm and desert to free her children, granted wings to his soul to protect both himself and his charges, and travel as swift as the very wind that he was sworn to. If Luke had killed two people in a crowded elevator without a single witness until the bodies were discovered, while the elevator itself was struck by unexpectedly ruinous gusts of wind, for there was a possibility, not a certainty, a possibility, that perhaps, perhaps, there was more to those old stories about gods and monsters his mother had told him of when he was young. The dark rolled around him like ink in turbulent waters, shifting uncomfortably yet curiously at the very idea. He had to agree. Gods and spirits and everything of that ilk, it seemed impossible. All he'd been taught his entire life confirmed time and again that there was nothing but the Force binding them all together, and that all instances of supposed divinity could be explained by primitive people mistaking it for something else, or simply having a different name for it. There were no gods in the galaxy, no spirits or mysticism. There was only the Force. But when he felt Luke's signature, when something else looked out of his little star's eyes, when there were things he couldn't explain, things that resonated within and without the Force. It would simply make sense. Perhaps not in any kind of logical way, or a way any of his masters would have approved of, but when he thought of the stories, when he thought of what it had felt like when his mother had sung of the storm and the moons and the suns and the stars, the dark hummed content and filled with familiarity, and for a moment he could admit that it also just felt right. Runners ought to have the storm at their backs. There was no story or song in which they didn't, and the day wasn't saved in some form by the storm answering the invocation of its disciples. It just wasn't right for a runner not to have the storm. 
which was a childish and utterly nonsensical manner of looking at the situation, but the thought of it gnawed at the back of his mind, humming in time with the Force and the Dark. It refused to be banished to irrelevance, and, well, it wasn't like he had any other leads to his little star worth considering. Luke was an extraordinary, earth-shattering, impossible child. Would it really be such a challenge to believe that his penchant for the impossible didn't extend further? Only one way to find out. Captain, take General Veers with you and collect what data has been found so far, he ordered Grissel, leaving no room for arguments. It will be necessary to prove or disprove my existing hypothesis. General Veers. Yes, my lord. The general agreed promptly. And you, sir? Captain Ritzel asked, just pointed enough that even without the force he would have known her displeasure at being given orders by him as it coiled tightly within her. I will be attempting to locate any remaining mercenaries and interrogate them for any information they might possess, he growled out, the dark roiling and snarling in agreement as it strained against his control. He reined it back in sharply and it settled, reluctantly, but it did. The captain swallowed audibly, but he was already lengthening his stride towards the area where the passengers were recuperating. The captain would either complete her orders as a consummate professional, or face the consequences of needlessly endangering the search in case her pride got the better of her. Time would tell which she would choose. In the meantime, he would focus on his specialties. Brace yourselves, he heard Cody mutter to the two guards. If a law finds anything, or rather anyone, You'll see why Kicks warned you to be stronger, stomach. As good advice as any. With a roll of his shoulders, he released his grip on the dark as he approached the rows of recuperating passengers being inspected by medics or shivering under shock blankets, far enough away that few had yet noticed his presence. Starless Void and Ninky Black shot out as he observed them with his eyes, staining everything around him and wrapping the force signature of every living being present in a thick cloak of darkness that immediately began grasping at their minds. Gently, he directed it sharply. There would be no use for mass hysteria or psychotic snaps. What they needed was to rapidly identify everyone within that crowd, not break their minds. It snapped at him like an enraged rancor in retaliation, and he snarled right back. His honor was on the line, and he had no patience for its usual lust for destruction, fear, anger, panic, and hatred. It would obey. The dark begrudgingly complied with his demands and settled into something far calmer, the lashing and ensnaring tendrils smoothing out into entangling threads and currents that wrapped themselves around every soul they could find. The moment connections were made, he began to skim the surface of the souls within his grasp, sifting through dozens of them at a time. Fearful, often pained, and occasionally shocked to the point of silence, the survivors of the sudden drop of the elevator often barely even reacted to him, scanning their minds for anything that would betray an allegiance to the Sixth Company. It was worrisome in many ways, but it admittedly made his task far easier for him. Within seconds, he had worked his way through half of the passengers, weighing their souls, finding nothing that would condemn them, and moving on after the evidence declared them innocent of the suspected crime. Flashes of memories became his own in the process and he experienced as a mother pressed two of her children close to her chest, clutching them desperately in an attempt to shield them from the howling, breaking winds that were ravaging the platform they were on. 
In another, an old Bothan was frantically clutching both his walking stick and the tendant as the winds threatened to knock them flat. In yet another, a group of students were huddled together to brace the storm as one, attempting to counteract the jolts and shocks of the turbulent platform by strength and numbers. And in all of them, the sky was as clear and bright as a sapphire. It made for an eerie scene, and one that settled oddly in his gut. A storm in a clear sky, while no other part of the surroundings so far had even reported to have issues with strong, unexpected winds. But there was something strange afoot here. The dark rippled in agreement, sending shivers through much of the crowd, and he briefly considered digging deeper into the surroundings to see if he could find what had caused the odd circumstances. A sudden pocket of turbulence, a strange wind shear, perhaps. But those phenomena stretched over dozens, hundreds of kilometers. Not barely a few hundred meters. Perhaps a wind created by the surrounding buildings, but no. The station hovered near the tops of the tallest skyscrapers within Chitamaske, not between the buildings, perhaps. The dark sharply tugged on his grip on it, snarling viciously in his moment of inattentiveness as he scrambled to wrestle it back under control, cursing himself for allowing his concentration to break like that. Right now he was required to be an investigator and interrogator, not a pilot. Flaring his own signature and grasping on sight to the dark in every manner he could, he quickly established dominance once more, forcing it to cooperate. They needed to find Luke, and it would obey. It snapped at him one final time before dutifully winding its way back around all present souls, gliding along two, five, twelve, twenty more souls in a matter of seconds flooding his mind with images of the storm and fear of panic and even pain. He grasped the dark even tighter in a sharp warning not to attempt anything idiosyncratic, like feeding on them before they had found their due targets. But it merely hissed and snapped, worming itself through yet another soul that... that was different. Narrowing his eyes at the pale and shaking woman... He didn't even have to direct the dark to take a closer look as it immediately began wrapping itself tighter around the soul, upon the first hint of a weight of durasteel and the boredom of a patrol. Ensnaring the soul like one would an ash rabbit, he began to take a closer look, keeping an iron grip on the dark to prevent it from simply tearing into the woman's mind in search of information. It rumbled, billowing around him in warning but settling in with the patience of a predator waiting to strike. Within the soul, he found the flesh taken form, the weight of weapons around her body weighing her down and unbalancing her as the wind threw her around the platform, the boredom of a routine patrol abruptly shifting into a hair-raising nightmare as the gales struck, the desperate search for her partner while she was being tossed around. He shook off the haze of his eyes and the sight they gave. He knew enough. Cody, Apo he rumbled, the dark echoing his sentiment as it snared the soul even tighter, already reaching out with additional tendrils to locate the other mercenary seen in the flashes of memory. Arrest the human woman in the shock blanket being tended to by the Duromedic. She is one of our targets. Take her somewhere secluded, and do not allow her to escape. Yes, sir, both commanders answered as they sprang into action marching casually enough toward the indicated target that he doubted they would send her fleeing or alert her partner. Spoken too soon. Amongst the surprise and faint twinges of fear and intimidation, 
One signature flared brightly with fear and dread as Cody and Apo entered the ranks of the recovering passengers proper. Heads snapping over to the source of the fear, the dark needed no direction to lash out and wind itself around the target tightly enough that he knew if he had given it form, it would be crushing them. Flashes of memories flooded his sight, the hope of impressing both his collaborators and superiors with a rapture, and then of making it out of a terrifying situation alive. The heavy tread and smug superiority of knowing what was deadly and armed amongst the unsuspecting masses, quickly turning into the heavy tread of stumbling boots in fierce winds. The fear of failure warped into the fear of discovery as two troopers marched towards his partner with frightening determination. Balu, Niren, he hissed, both guards springing to action. The human now towards the outskirts of the crowd, in the loose-fitting robes and hat. He is our second target, and he has noticed the commander's approaching his partner. On it, sir, Baloo growled, promptly gesturing for Niren to come along while preparing cuffs and a discreet stun blaster, her partner doing the same, pulling the dark around himself in kicks like a shroud to prevent the people from noticing him and causing a panic. He circled the edges of the recovery area, tracking both parties as they moved to make their arrests. Cody and Apo knew the drill well. Walking up to the recovering mercenary with little or no effort put into hiding themselves, but keeping their demeanor casual enough that by the time she noticed them, it was already far too late. Even if the dark wasn't snared tightly around her, waiting to spring the trap if necessary, the troopers had already closed the distance they needed to apprehend her in a short sprint should she take off. She clearly wasn't one to go with grace, however, as her signature flared bright with defiance and indignation as the troopers moved to make their arrest. A poor choice. The dark promptly constricted around her mind and soul, forcing her silence while the troopers informed her of her arrest and restrained her in cuffs. He wouldn't be having a scene here, not while they had to move swiftly if they wanted to have any hope of catching up to his home. The guard seemed to be having similar issues, with the mercenary promptly shooting up and away the moment the troopers made their arrest, and again the entangling snares of the dark snapped into effect constricting themselves around him until the mercenary was frozen in place. Striding past the furthest edge of the area, he watched as the guards warily approached the frozen mercenary, entirely unsure of what to do with the oddly still man who stood frozen into an impromptu statue. When they hesitated too long for his liking, he sharply prodded both of their minds with his own presence, dropping the shield around himself just far enough that when their heads snapped back towards him, they saw him standing there. His reputation, in the end, was good for exactly two things on some occasions. People did not question him, and people did not dare to disobey him, the wise ones at least. And the two guards proved themselves to be rather wise indeed, as they promptly resumed the arrest with a much more appropriate level of haste. Releasing most of the dark's hold on the mercenary once both guards had the cuffs and two strong hands on him, he carefully watched the mercenary, snaring his mouth shut and suppressing any urge to scream, much like the other, to prevent him from causing a scene. When the two guards finally seemed to have everything under control, he turned his attention away, only idly keeping what little of the restraints he still had on the two mercenaries in place. He needed a secluded spot to prod the two for information preferably somewhere where there wouldn't be anyone bursting in to break his concentration with various startled screams or panicked calls for help. The last time had been enough of a risk already, but there at least he had the guarantee of enough troopers to contain any panic the sight of his methods might cause. 
That wasn't the case this time, so he needed somewhere more private. He found it in the form of a maintenance door leading into the framework of the basin that the elevator docked in, forcing the lock open with careful pulses of the dark to confuse the system. He stepped through the sliding door to find a cramped but secluded hallway, with only a handful of technicians scattered around, all of whom promptly scurried out the door and made themselves scarce once they caught sight of him, leaving him in the deserted maintenance hallway. It would do. His techniques were far quieter than those of some other amateurs he knew, not to mention actually effective. Something he wished some others in the military hierarchy understood better, but his master unfortunately favored the foolish waste of time and resources, not to mention often enough the information source itself, for the pain and suffering it brought. Which was all well and good, but he wondered how it was meant to further any goals beyond feeding the dark. It wasn't like his own methods didn't feed the dark. It fed it very well, in fact. The dark shifted in agreement and roiled in anticipation of the force signatures of the troopers, guards, and, most importantly, mercenaries drawing closer. And truthfully, that spoke for itself. It required a measure of force sensitivity and concentration, that much was true. But it was still far preferable over a method that didn't work and often caused the people subjected to it to become unsuitable for further interrogation uncooperative, or even worse, expire. It simply didn't make sense to him why his master didn't switch over. The fact that it wasn't an issue up for debate had been strenuously ingrained into him, however, and the scars from that reprimand still sometimes ached particularly badly on atmospheric re-entry, so he had refrained from raising the matter again. Much to Kix's delight, it had to be said. Speaking of the medic, "'Prepare your kit, Kicks. He ordered quietly as he looked around the somewhat cramped maintenance hallway. You will need to check over both our prisoners once I am through with them. Yes, sir, Kix said, hitting the release catch of his pack and swinging it off his back and onto the floor, preparing the various medical implements for use. Made of glinting antibacterial metal and sharp as could be, the instruments were not only useful for medical purposes but also for intimidation and in the absence of a trusted interrogation droid who knew how to convincingly pose as a menacing threat, it would have to do. And Kix, thankfully, knew not to argue with him on this, not with so much on the line. The troopers came in first, half-dragging, half-carrying the mercenary inside as she fought with what little agency she still had over her movements. It wasn't enough to match the sheer strength of the Suda, though, not by a long shot, and it certainly wasn't enough to save her from what was to come. Something she seemed to realize as well when her eyes finally landed on him and realized the situation she was in. Immediately she began to jerk and squirm against the grip of both Apple and Cody ever harder for all the good it did her. She was still unable to talk or scream, and he firmly kept her vocal cords paralyzed and his mouth cemented shut. She would be granted back control of them once he was certain she wasn't liable to cause a commotion. Glaring in furious desperation at him, the mercenary finally seems to realize he was to blame for her predicament, and he rumbled in approval. Her fear and hatred would make for a good feeding, the dark eagerly echoing his sentiment. Then the second course of the feeding was dragged in by both guards, and both mercenaries seemed to realize the extent of the situation they were in as their eyes met, shock and horror skyrocketing. Indeed, he rumbled. 
answering the unasked questions of them both as he closed the door behind the guards with a push of the dark and put up a sound shield around the maintenance hallway. Unwilling to trust the thin walls or door of the complex, neither of you were thorough enough in hiding your trails, and we are well aware of both your identities. He tilted his mask lower in a manner that he knew mimicked the exact glare he was leveling at both of them from behind his cursed lenses. And that of your employers? Your fates are already sealed, but you determine how much agony it will take to deliver you there. Now then, I want to know one thing. He took several steps closer and lowered his voice as far as his vocoder would allow, pouring every last spark of barely-leashed rage into his voice, lining it with every last ounce of power he possessed. Where is Luke? The question echoed through the empty hallway, rumbling like thunder, and for a moment he swore that something... something laughed in a voice barely more than air, gone in the draft in the next second. Both mercenaries reared back, and neither of the guards were much better, with only the troopers being able to refrain from more than a flinch. Fear and desperation began to coagulate in the air, and he relaxed his grip on the dark to allow it to begin its feeding. Immediately a rush of power poured into him, coursing through his veins like liquid gold, settling into his bones and making fire burn throughout, a network of kilns containing the molten power within. It sparked and snapped and shimmered, screaming through the darkness in a riot of fire and fury. He rolled his shoulders and shook his head lightly, growling lowly as the feeding frenzy began to take hold of him, the world sharpened into crystal-clear focus. The aches and pains of his wretched form faded away into the background, and his mind shifted. He was who he was, but like this, he and the dark were far more in sync than almost any other moment. Something that perhaps wasn't strictly necessary at the moment, but he was beyond caring. And these people had hurt Luke and chased him all over the city while forcing him to put himself in danger to protect the missing students as his charges. He would have their fears for a feast. With a twitch of his fingers, he released his grip on both their speech capabilities and awaited the answer to his question. Go to hell, the woman immediately snarled, and he raised an eyebrow behind his mask. It wasn't exactly unexpected, but it was still an impressive feat that she was able to defy him in this manner. Still. A poor answer, he noted. I suggest you cooperate. You will not be asked this question a third time. And I do not need your cooperation in order to obtain any information you might have. I warn you, though, the latter is a far more unpleasant experience. If you think there's anything you could do to me with those things, she hissed while jerking her chin towards the medical implements Kix was still stoically continuing to prepare. That will phase me. You have another thing coming. I can assure you, these are not intended for your interrogation, he corrected softly, taking another step closer. 
Those are the medical tools intended to be used. Should you require immediate medical intervention after I am through with you? He finished in a growl, staring down the woman. You took someone important from me, he whispered lowly. You, your partner, and your employers. You took someone, and now he is lost to me. He stepped closer. Close enough that he could see the bloodshot sclera of the woman, the dark eagerly drinking in the fear, panic, and desperation as he did so. But he has yet to die. I know that much. The dark roiled in response to his words, and another shot of power flowed through him with enough force that it burned. And the woman gasped eyes widening fearfully even as she made a desperate attempt at maintaining her glare. Something must have changed in him with that last burst of power, as even the troopers shifted in discomfort as he drew closer. So allow me to ask you one final time, he hissed. Where is Luke? Fuck off, the mercenary spat back glaring furiously at him while trembling in defiant fear. The entire group of tin can monkeys! With that, the troopers immediately took their cue to release the woman from their grips and take several steps back, closely followed by the guard still holding the other mercenary. Before the woman could even contemplate the mistake she had just made, the dark had already swollen its snares with power and pinned her in place, leaving her mind wide open for interrogation. With his eyes wide open, he and the dark began unraveling the wrinkles of the woman's mind, casually slapping aside any attempt she made at forcing them out. The dark snarled and sank an inordinate amount of sharp shards of darkness into her consciousness when she tried to push it out one desperate last time, leaving deep gouges in the ephemeral soul that elicited a pained whimper and would take a significant amount of time to heal, if she ever got to heal. He was rather unresolved on the matter of if he would leave her alive or not. The mercenary's consciousness continued to try and desperately push them out of her mind, but the resulting effect was analogous to a fly attempting to attack a crate. After slapping the annoyance down a couple of times with punishing force and allowing the dark to savage the consciousness more than he normally would, he began to dig through the memories. Wounded and sluggish, the woman's consciousness attempted to drag her memories away from him in lieu of being able to work him out. But that plan was quickly halted when the dark snarled an offense and pinned it in place. Distantly, he registered his victim, retching out gurgling, gagging sounds as he did so. But her memories were his to inspect now, and he quickly began sorting through them. What should have gone wrong? With it being left to clean up the A-team's shit show, as if the target had escaped the ambush? And if only they had put her on the team instead of that bitch, then it would have all gone so differently. Assignment to the rookie position on point south, and how dare they! When she was so easily worth five of those other losers put on points east and north, and with Varan two of all people! Routine patrol in these stupid disguises, because apparently they needed to lay low. 
After the busted job the A-team had done, as if those tin can monkeys could even hope to challenge them once they got serious in their fancy new soup cans. Idiots on point north, east, and center apparently couldn't find the target despite them knowing on which train he was. Whatever. Whatever. It's not like it's her problem. None of them can do their jobs. They just their entire collective paycheck hanging in the balance. Stupid elevator and this stupid patrol with her stupid partner and this stupid disguise and these stupid civvies. Motherfucker in a semi-auto. What was this fucking wind? Did none of these stupid motherfucking station monkeys know how to operate a damn weather shield? Oh god. Oh, four so stars. No. No, 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 no. Not like this. Not like this. Damn motherfucking shit sting cunt bastard wind was going to kill them all. Not like this. 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 Please. Oh god, please, no. Not like this. It wasn't supposed to be like this. No, 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 no. A life. A life. A life, thank the fucking gods and for she was alive. If she ever got her hands on that stupid fucking target, she'd kill him just for making her have to suffer through that. Fuck yeah, she was taking that blanket. And she was sitting a good length away from fucking Varan too. What were those tin can monkeys doing here? They weren't supposed to be here. They were supposed to be cleaning up the A-team's mess or fucking with the points north or east, not her. Shit, 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 whatever, whatever. She wasn't scared of them. She wasn't scared of any of them. And she sure wasn't scared of him. She'd show him, and she'd show them. She'd show them all. No one messed with... That was quite enough. Pulling back out of the woman's mind with a scowl of distaste and disappointment, Vader could honestly say that he felt like he had actually lost something from partaking in a mentality that was as small and vicious as that like a rabid rodent of some stripe that wasn't aware of how much grander and haunting the world was than the shadow it was raging against, nor the damage it could cause by blindly biting around itself into things far more worthwhile than itself. Glaring down at the slumped-over form of the mercenary, he noted with disinterest that for all her bravado, she had fared no better than any of the others he had interrogated in this method. Sprawled out over the floor, eyes rolling blankly in her head, convulsing and spasming horribly while she foamed at the mouth. No one could have easily thought her to be having a seizure. And admittedly, perhaps that was exactly what she was having. Neither he nor the dark had been exactly gentle in their handling of her, and even less so in their retreat once they realized that she had no relevant information on Luke. He growled and shifted his shoulders stepping back slightly and considering the fallen woman with narrowed eyes. She had no information to make her worth keeping alive, was low-ranked, but more importantly, most importantly, she'd threatened to kill Luke. She'd threatened to kill Luke, and was more than prepared to go through with it. The dark roared, until the very fabric of the world shook, and he couldn't even bring himself to pretend to stop it when it lashed out and crushed the woman's windpipe to a pulp, snapping her neck in the process. Her signature winked out of the force in mere seconds, and her lifeless body stopped its convulsions as if the threads to a puppet had been cut. Wasted life in pursuit of a senseless attempt to garner wealth that would be smeared in the blood of an innocent. Prepare and cover her body, he ordered Kix coldly. 
noting that the other mercenary was hyperventilating hard in the unsteady grip of the two guards as they stared wide-eyed at the fresh corpse in front of them. Ensure that it is placed with the other corpses for when the morgue personnel arrive to retrieve the bodies, and that she has the same orders pertaining to her as they have. Any information, sir? Kix asked while promptly setting to work clearing away the foam around the corpse's mouth and closing it with a strip tied around her head to ensure that rigor mortis set it properly. None, he growled while turning his gaze over to the other mercenary, who promptly scrambled backwards into the broad chest of Baloo while terror saturated the room like a grenade full of it had detonated. No, the mercenary whispered, though he rapidly gained volume as Vader approached, frantically shaking his head. No, 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 I don't, I don't want to die. Not like that, he yelled. But Vader paid him no heed as the dark began to prepare for another interrogation. Not like that, please. I'll take anything but not like that. Oh? Then are you prepared to cooperate? He hissed, the dark echoing his tone as it curled around his shoulders, eagerly feeding on the soul-deep terror that was permeating the room. Yes, yes, yes! The mercenary panted as he still scrambled backwards, eyes frantically switching between the corpse and himself as he barely dared to take his eyes off either. Anything? Just not like that, he whispered, terrified tears beginning to drip down his face as the last vestiges of his composure evacuated from their host. Don't like that. I will keep it simple, he cut him with a growl, the man thankfully having the good sense to promptly shut his mouth. Where is Luke? I don't know, the mercenary sobbed. And he snarled at the man as he scented a sliver of truth in that statement. A sliver, but it wasn't the sterling, truthful answer he needed either. I really don't. Oh, gods, please, please don't. You lie, he hissed. The dark's hackles raising up alongside his own as the power of the feeding coursed through him, terror ratcheting even higher as even the guards now flinched back from him, taking the mercenary one step with them. He snarled as he closed the gap as soon as it was made, and the mercenary sobbed as he shook his head. Oh no! He pleaded desperately, tears streaming in full desperation now. It was just... it wasn't anything. Just a glimpse in the crowd, it could be anywhere by now, even if it was him. What? Speak plainly, he snarled. The mercenary sobbing and whimpering as he did so. What did you see? And where did you see it? I saw... I saw him in... in the crowd, the man stammered out, eyes wide and bulging as he stared desperately into Vader's own. It, it was barely a glimpse, I swear, I don't... I don't even remember which direction or, or if it was really... really him and... and oh, Force, please let me go! He snapped out a growl, and the mercenary abruptly quieted down, eyes wide and face pale with terror jerking in the guard's grasp and going limp with a whimper once he realized he had no hope of breaking their grip. He slowly drew himself up to his full height. The weak shine of the utility lights flickered as the dark lazily slipped by them in anticipation of its meal. Though as he considered the growing evidence on the mercenary's pants of him having voided his bladder with a grimace of distaste, he wondered how it could still be so eager. How unfortunate... He rumbled out as the dark began to wind itself around the mercenary, the guards finally releasing their grasp on him and stumbling backwards as the lights flickered once more. 
I suppose I will simply have to determine the veracity of that claim myself. <laughs> the mercenary whispered as the dark began to string its threads of darkness around his mind. No! He yelled as Vader sunk back into a feeding frenzy. No! No! Please, no! Memories opened up in front of him as the man's cries broke off into a gurgling gasp, and immediately the dark set to work pinning down the man's consciousness to prevent it from getting in the way. It squirmed and struggled and tried to flee hopelessly, but neither he nor the dark were taking any chances with the information the mercenary confessed to having, and it was promptly pinned in place with what could be described as an excess of sharp, needle-like shards of darkness. Wounds were once again left in its place, but he doubted it would be an issue for the man for long. Diving into the labyrinth of impressions and foreign spirits, he began sorting through the individual strands of thought and memory, letting them fill his senses. Routine. Rookie patrol. On the point least likely to have anything interesting happen to it. He'd be bored to tears before anything got done, thanks to the A-team's fuck-up. At least it was with Trina. She'd played hard to get so far, but he'd wear her down eventually. Still nothing. It's absolutely no one's surprise. Why even station them here? There was no way the target was going to go that way. They might as well have been where they'd see some action. Not even impressed Trina that way. Nothing, 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 absolutely nothing. Who would have guessed? Holy shit, no, 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 fuck, 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 no, no! Where the hell was that wind coming from? What was going on? Oh, it's not like this, not like this. He didn't want to die. Please. Just let him make it through it. Please, 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 please. He was alive. He was alive. Thank fucking everything. He was fucking alive. He could have kissed someone then and there. Fuck man. He'd be kissing Trina soon enough and take the kick to the balls of the process in stride because he was fucking alive. Wait, all that. There. The dark reached out and froze the memory in question in place, pinning it down on all sides to prevent it from slipping through their grasp as Vader took a closer look at the instance, pushing away all superfluous information like how grateful the mercenary was to be alive and the sting of ozone in the air. Instead, he focused as much as he could on the brief glimpse of Luke off in the distance, a white length of fabric wrapped around his head and shoulders. But the modified blast vest gave him away, as did the piercing blue eyes in the memory as the runner looked back for only a moment. The dark rumbled eagerly in between deep drinks of the man's mindless terror, and he agreed with it. That was Luke, there was no doubt about it, and if the image hadn't been clear enough, then the image of the young Veers and the quarter air following closely behind with two other missing students in tow confirmed it. They were contending with a runner gone to ground with four charges within his wings. He could have sighed in frustration if he weren't so proud at the mere image of his home safeguarding his charges in that manner. He stared for a little while longer until the dark abruptly shifted around him, nearly snapping at him. And he remembered the purpose of lingering within this small mind. Snaring the memory even further in place until no escape was possible, he released the dark's grip on it, allowing it to play out its course. Within moments, Luke had disappeared into the crowds again, never to be seen again by the mercenary, even as he kept staring in the direction they had disappeared off to for a few more seconds, before evidently deciding that the light and his mind were merely playing tricks on him. With the clarity of being an outside observer, he could tell that that was not the case. 
and he froze the memory in place again to record the direction Luke had disappeared off into. Red cloth-covered stalls could barely be made out in the distance, and he remembered seeing the market they were indicating upon landing. If this memory was anything to go off of, then Luke had headed straight for it and the thick crowds that would be milling around there. The dark grumbled as he came to that conclusion, and he had to reluctantly admit with it that searching for one little star amongst a sea of people would be a nearly impossible task, especially considering that said little star was doing everything within his power as a runner to give everyone the slip, but it was the only lead they had so far. Outside of this moment, Luke had disappeared off of the radar, and now they at least had a direction in which to steer the search. The good admiral would need to be contacted in order to direct the technology task force in the right direction, and Captain Ritzel would need to be informed to mobilize the body of the swarm. With plans and strategies already forming within his mind, he didn't look back once he allowed the memory to play out once more, withdrawing from the mercenary's mind, or he wouldn't have if the sudden addition of speech hadn't made his blood run cold and the dark freeze in place. Hey, boss, the memory echoed through his mind. I think we may have had a target sighting over here. The target possibly has multiple civilians in tow and was heading south. East, I think. We're unable to follow up in our current state, over. No. Copy that, 4B. Remain in your position. Points north and east will take over from here. Over and out. Distantly, he registered the memory fading out as the mercenary gave himself over to the medical attention of the on-site medics while the dark snarled in furious offense. He barely thought to hold it back as he extracted himself from the man's mind, leaving behind a devastated psyche. His eyes closed, and suddenly all that was left was the shivering, gurgling, seizing, and retching form of the mercenary on the ground, while a vicious, burning fury coursed through his veins like molten iron. This imbecile, this half-witted, corrupted scum of the earth. He seethed in silent rage as the dark snapped viciously at the man's airway, eliciting a pained, choking gurgle. How dare he? How dare he? He had been outplayed and outmaneuvered by his home, and yet he still stuck the hounds on his trail while he had been calmly resting up under the undeserved care of the medics. The dark roared, and he thought he might have given his own voice to the sentiment as well as it struck out violently towards the mercenary, the fires of rage burning hot and bright under his skin as the power of the feeding fueled it into a white, hot blaze. Liquid shadow-given substance lashed into the man's throat and chest, effortlessly splitting any skin, flesh, bone, and organs in its path. Blood spat out over the floor and his boots, the guards and troopers staggering back out of the path with startled shrieks and curses. He couldn't begin to care less. Bone and sinew stuck out of the man's chest as a deathly gurgle left the ruined remains of his throat, the force signature winking out and leaving only a still impression behind it as blood pooled in the cavity left behind in his chest. Somewhere behind him, through the shock and horror of the guards and the dismayed disgust of the troopers, he could feel Kix's disbelief quickly morph in exasperation as he sighed. Could you at least pack the gore back into the chest cavity and close it up a bit to make it easier to prepare it for transport, sir? Kix muttered as he began to prepare reams of bandages, presumably to close up the cavity. Glancing sideways back at the medic while the dark growled dangerously all around, he was met with the even blank stare of Kix's visor out of the corner of his eyes. Though he had no doubt that both eyes behind the blank black plastisteel were fixed firmly on his own. 
The burning, blazing fury still boiled inside of him, wanting another outlet, wanting to harm. But even the Dark hesitated at the idea of the medic being that outlet. You did not harm medics on any battlefield, whether the enemies or especially your own. You simply did not. Reining the snarling and dangerously smoldering Dark back in, he paid no heed to how the cinders within burned him at the touch. The pain could hardly faint him anymore, and he had felt far worse in his life in any case. With more effort than it should likely take to keep it in check, he directed the Dark to arrange the scattered viscera back into the chest cavity of the corpse, and carefully pushed the ribs, flesh, and skin back into a rough approximation of an undamaged chest, all the while maintaining steady eye contact with Kix. The scraping, squishing, wet noises as the chest cavity closed back up behind him earned a silent spike of disgust in the force from the troopers with nauseated gagging and retching vocalizations from the guards. Once he was content with the rough shape of the chest cavity, he withdrew the dark from the gruesome task and tilted his head a little lower as he considered kicks. The medic, for his part, warily looked away from him towards the finished corpse and nodded slowly. That'll do it, he muttered. Thank you, sir. Now please step aside and let me do my job. Without another word exchanged, he and Kix traded positions to allow the medic to begin his work on the fresh corpse while he contemplated the information he had just learned. Luke had, unquestionably, used the southern exit and left in the direction of the market. That would mean that... Uh, excuse me? A voice sounded from outside the hallway, carefully knocking on the doors. Sarah's moving, come in. The station master is insisting that we complete our task. The dark rumbled and released the lock and shield holding the door shut and silent before he could think to stop it. With a creak, the door slid open, leaving the technician's hand hanging in the air as they stood there. Oh, they exclaimed, stepping into the hallway. Well, I didn't mean to interrupt, but holy shit. They staggered backwards and promptly knocked into the doorframe, limbs flailing as wildly as their force signature as they caught sight of the corpses on the ground and the blood spattered around them. What? What the? What? They stammered, eyes darting between both corpses before coming to rest on him and widening even further. I, I my lord, I, I... At ease, technician. The dark was almost playful as it brushed against their signature. Far more with a calm he didn't feel. We were just concluding matters in here and preparing to leave. He glanced down at the blood still spattering the concrete while the dark hissed in satisfaction at the results of its work. I would suggest ordering a cleaning of the floor before you continue any work in here, he continued, keeping his voice as calm as he could. But it should not be a major hindrance. I... I... the technician stammered frantically looking between Vader and the broken body being stubbornly tended to by Kix, as he ignored any and all commotion around him and himself. Yes, I, I, I understand. I, I take it you understand better than to violate the general gag order, Technician Falmore, he asked calmly, putting the technician out of their misery. They paled rapidly but slowly nodded. The dark purred as it carefully brushed aside the surface thoughts of the unfortunate technician to produce their calm code. Excellent. Then you are excused, he ordered calmly. You will be contacted should the gag order be lifted. With a stammer of gratitude, the technician darted out the door, and he promptly set to work by producing his own comm. Pulling up the messaging menu, he composed a quick notice for Piet. Admiral Piet, 
Technician Falmore from Water Crystal Station has been placed under a general gag order concerning an interrogation. Com code 20904-8716-0265-49013. Log the information should the order be lifted. Signed, Supreme Commander Darth Vader. Sending the message on its way, he glanced towards where the two guards were still watching in horror as Kick stripped the packaging off of two body shrouds and shook out the fabric with two brisk snaps. While the medic proceeded to wrap the hydrophobic fabric around the two corpses and secure it in place with the sewn-on bands, he took note of their state of the force. The dark roiled as he took note of the wave after wave of nauseated distress and disturbed shock that pulsed from the two of them. He tilted his head as he considered the two guards. Near and dry heaving twice in quick succession as the body Kicks was working on made an especially loud and wet squelch. Overall, he judged them to be doing better than the average shiny when they had their first encounter with the more visceral methods he had of finishing off a victim. There, Kix said while leaning back on his heels as he let go of the final band of the man's shroud. That should hold them. Now we just need to transport them out of here and somewhere the morticians can pick them. He cut himself off when Vader promptly directed the dark to lift the two bodies in an even hover to about hip height. Well, he muttered while tilting his head. That'll do it. Let us proceed, he rumbled. We have already lost enough time and gained a fresh lead on the group's location. Wait, we have, Commander Cody asked, tearing his eyes away from the two shrouded bodies before pausing momentarily. Sir. We have, he confirmed. They likely headed through the nearby market and appeared to be traveling nearly due east. We should investigate it, as well as any places of potential interest in the nearby area. He strode towards the doorway, taking both shrouded bodies with him as he surveyed the crowds outside. Unfortunately, thanks to the two freshly deceased mercenaries, and he thought the hiss he added on to that word was more than deserved in this context, the Sixth Company knows about this as well, and is likely already on their trail. We will need to move quickly. Understood, sir, Alba confirmed with a nod. And what about the bodies? A good question, and one he hopefully had an answer to. Baloo, near him, he ordered sharply. The still somewhat nauseated guards quickly snapping to attention. Your fellow guards will be communicating with the morticians once they arrive to the scene. Will we be able to transfer control of these bodies to them in order to ensure we lose no time in our pursuit? Um, yes, sir, Niren hastily answered. We should be able to transfer control over to whomever Captain Rizel puts in charge. They're likely to be where the original bodies are, if I'm not, not mistaken. He paused to dry heave again, and Baloo swiftly smacked him between the shoulder blades until he stopped. Thanks, he whispered hoarsely, shivering violently as he flipped his middle module back in place. In either case, if they're not, there should still be someone there who can help us, sir. I'm honestly just worried about causing a mass panic by parading those two around, Baloo muttered under her breath, a valid concern but an unnecessary one in his opinion. That will not be an issue, he rumbled as he wrapped the dark tightly around them all, a billowing cloud of darkness that would hide them from most eyes. The guards and troopers shivered as he brought them into the fold, but didn't seem to be further affected. Stay close, he warned. It will not shield you from sight if you wander too far astray. Admittedly, that was more due to a lack of will than ability, but he couldn't be bothered to sustain individual shields around all of them for something as trivial as this, 
not when he still had a significant increase in power at his disposal from a recent feeding. When his orders had been properly acknowledged, he stepped through the doorway with both guards and troopers in tow. As expected, not a single civilian, medic, or guard turns to face them, or even glanced at them as their presence barely registered strongly enough for people to know not to walk into them. It was useful, this manner of anonymity, and with it they were able to make good pace through the crowds despite two floating and shrouded corpses accompanying them, quickly rounding the basin and approaching the entrance of the elevator again. He was about to enter when two familiar force signatures approaching them caught his attention, and he halted their advance. Looking over, he indeed soon spotted both General Veers and Captain Ritzel approaching, scanning the crowds for what he presumed was their presence. Dropping the shield just far enough while giving both a firm prod against their minds with the dark, he soon drew their attention. "'General! Captain!' he greeted as they approached, both bowing swiftly in return. "'I must ask that you stay closer than you would perhaps prefer.' The shield I am keeping up to divert attention away from this general area can only stretch so far before it becomes a nuisance. Immediately the general obliged by taking a step closer, and the captain soon followed suit. I see your investigation bore some fruit, my lord, the general noted, indicating the two floating bodies with a tilt of his visor. Are there any hints as to where we need to proceed to? There are, he confirmed, and he didn't miss how the general's shoulders promptly slumped in relief. He would have much the same reaction if he hadn't known the entire story. Unfortunately, thanks to our two deceased mercenaries here, so does the Sixth Company, he added on darkly. And Veers promptly tensed up again with a whispered curse. Captain Ritzel thankfully seemed to catch the scope of the situation as well. Well then, where are they hidden, my lord? She added urgently. If we hurry. The nearby market, he answered brusquely looking over in its direction and spotting the stalls of red and orange cloth in the far distance. Luke was likely aiming to lose any pursuers in the crowd, and it seems to have been effective. We will need to comb the whole area and employ the technology task force in order to find that trail. Hopefully, hopefully they would be able to find them. Luke had a lead of a couple of hours, and as he was beginning to learn, even only a few moments was enough for a runner to disappear with nary a trace but there was one bright spot of hope amongst it all. I saw the young Quara and Veers within the memory, he revealed quietly to the shuddering breath of the general and gasp of the captain. They appeared to be both healthy and alert, following behind Luke at a fast and agile pace. He glanced at both of them. I should say that if their state in the memory is anything to judge off, they are being well taken care of by Luke and holding their own against the situation they have found themselves in. Oh, thank the force. Ritzel sighed as her entire body slumped in relief, and the sentiment was quickly shared by the two other guards. So the Sprague is all right? Bellew asked fervently. He's doing fine. For now, he confirmed. But we will need to move fast if we want to keep it that way. Captain Ritzel. The captain promptly straightened up out of her slouch with a sharp nod. Which of your people is in charge of handing over the corpses to the morticians once they arrive? Takano Gardon, corpse duty, she summed up quickly. They're professional medics and know the legal procedures necessary. Her eyes promptly sharpened as they honed in on the two shrouded corpses. Should I send someone to take these two to them, my lord? Yes, and ensure that they know the same protocol needs to be followed that was issued for the first two. 
Gag orders will be placed on those handling the bodies and only dissolved once it is no longer prudent to ensure the secrecy of the information. Force this day would be a nightmare of paperwork in the aftermath, but if it got his little star back to him safe and sound, he would gladly work round the clock to get it all filed and sorted. Fritzel seems to be of a similar mind as her determination flared bright while gesturing over to Baloo and Niren. You two, horse them up to the crime scene for Tack and Ogart to deal with, she ordered, and step to it. The two guards grimaced at the order and, much to his surprise, made a few quick hand gestures that had Niren sigh in relief, while Baloo grimaced in disgust as she picked up the body of the man in a bridal carry. The shroud let out another scraping, squelching sound, and Baloo gagged for the first time as she quickly made her way up to the crime scene, Niren following close behind with the shrouded body of the woman. Now then, he noted quietly while watching them leave, releasing the dark from his grip and allowing it to flow freely again. Do either of you have anything to report? Captain Ritzel, General Viz. A sudden spike of dissatisfaction and frustration marked itself within both of them, and he raised a curious eyebrow from behind the mask. He expected such emotions from Ritzel, but from Veers. We do, my lord, the general admitted, annoyance flaring high within him. But whether or not the report will make any sense is another matter entirely, and not for lack of trying on our part. Now that was a curious statement indeed. He shifted his attention over towards them fully and inclined his head in a silent gesture for them to continue. The technicians gave us the rundown, the captain revealed. And whatever you were expecting to find, my lord, I can certainly say that I didn't expect it to be this. She sighed while her facial plates twitched, her hand running along the scaled ridges on top of her head. The elevator, by all accounts, shouldn't have nearly crashed like it did. In fact, it should have been damn near impossible for it to do so. She produced a command pad and selected the most recent document. The flight stabilizers were in perfect condition and active. The backdrop stabilizers were in sterling condition as well, she rattled off. And he was already growing more and more incredulous with every word. What had happened here? The emergency heavy weather stabilizers rated for hurricane-level catastrophe showed no sign of fading and were on autopilot. So they should have activated the moment the elevator showed even a hint of pitching, roaring, or yawing. Fitzell continued, scrolling through the list. The technicians tested the software controlling all those matters too, and there was no issue there either. They even went through the black box for the thruster and fuel data, but that turned up nothing either. She sighed, thoroughly baffled and defeated as she scrolled through the rest of the list, and even mirrored, Vader could read of a myriad of potential issues that have been ruled out one by one. As far as the technicians can tell, the elevator had a clean bill of health as it was, Fitzell muttered. There was nothing wrong with it that should have allowed this to happen, but all of a sudden, all those measures that kept these things in service for multiple decades at a time just stopped working for a moment. Like the winds just ignored the measures in place. That didn't happen. He knew his way around technology, and while he might believe software or hardware simply failing at some point, he had to find reason for something that had always worked perfectly fine to suddenly fail like that while still working as intended unless something was interfering with the functions of the elevator in a manner that no scanner or diagnostic tool so far had picked up on. There was something else going on here. He crossed his arms and tapped a finger while rumbling out a low sound, as much baffled by the mystery as he was starting to consider that, perhaps, there was something more to his absurd and childish theory that there were forces at work here that defied comprehension. That's not all, my lord, General Veers said taking over from Captain Ritzel and activating the small hollow projector on his gauntlet to display the other half of the research. 
We looked into the weather reports of the area too, and functionally speaking, winds of the caliber that forced the elevator to the ground simply weren't possible. The temperature, the atmospheric pressure, the altitude, the environment, none of it should have been able to facilitate the creation of wind shears the likes of which struck the elevator. That much he had already deduced. His preferred environment to fly may be the vast wild black yonder, but he was still a pilot through and through. Nothing about the situation of the station added up. There simply wasn't any kind of reason for the sudden onset of violent severity and extreme localization of the turbulence, and this confirmed it. Something made that wind, he concluded quietly, eyeing the gargantuan island that functioned as an elevator. There was no possible way that something of that size and with hardware that robust was simply getting knocked out of the sky like an unmodified tie hit by an EMP at the first unexpected gust of wind. Something had made that wind. For a moment he thought that he could hear laughter again, faint barely there, and carried off on the breeze in the next moment. The dark shifted and trilled in response, and that, more than anything, convinced him that it wasn't simply the distant laugh of one of the recovering passengers or civilians in the crowd. There was something here. That's certainly true, my lord. Jin Bouvier sighed in defeated frustration, and he knew that the general had gotten a very different message from that sentence than he did. But that's not all. That sentence spelled nothing good. And even if the Dark hadn't roiled in warning, he would have known that the news he was primed to receive would be far less than ideal. Some would likely even call it bad news. He tilted his head and gestured for the general to get on with it. Veers and Ritzel glanced warily at one another, until eventually the captain sighed and selected the medium menu on her calm of all things. "'Well, you best see for yourself, my lord,' she said. Tuning into the news broadcast, abruptly the hollow display came to life showing a news anchor dressed at the nines and with a severe expression on her face. The storm front off the coast of the city has, to the battlement of meteorologists, abruptly changed course. It is set to hit the city in only a couple of hours, and all people are advised to take the appropriate measures to make their homes and businesses weatherproof, while the city enters code yellow. According to the Chitamaske Meteorology Institute, we can expect gale force winds, severe house storms, interspersing heavy rain and lightning as the storm hits. Citizens are advised to remain indoors for the duration, as well as bring in anything that could get damaged by the severe weather. The captain muted the broadcast and grimaced as the numbers of the meteorology report rolled over the screen. Yeah, she sighed. Yeah. A storm is rolling in on the next couple of hours, and well... He barely heard the rest of the explanation as he stared incredulously at the broadcast. A storm was rolling in. A storm that, apparently, against all odds, had changed course, and was now heading directly for the city. There was something here. Organize your division to anticipate the incoming weather, Captain, he ordered, barely hearing himself as his eyes remained fixated on the display. Ensure that guards Baloo and Niran are capable of withstanding the weather. I will not allow it to hinder the search. If he could. If he even could. If this... This this storm was what he thought it was, if Luke had truly done what he thought he had. If the tales of runners were more than mere tales, well, he wouldn't allow it to stop him. If he could, he wouldn't. Understood, my lord, Ritzel answered with a nod. I'll make sure they're outfitted for the occasion. She promptly set out to do just that, and the sense of urgency within her was strung tight within the force. Good. 
He wasn't the only one who realized the direness of the situation. Of all the things, Cody muttered next to him. We're gonna fucking storm over us too. Apparently, General Veers muttered, sighing deeply. And the kids are still out there too. The Garan really can't catch a break, Apo agreed. I just hope they're holding up a rod out there. They are, he answered quietly, flaring out his presence as far as he could with the strange haze hanging over the city. Chitamaske lit up in front of his eyes, a network of dark and light alike that stretched out beyond the horizon, millions of souls. And somewhere out there amongst the light was the one small star that meant more than the world to him. Again he called out along their bond, silent though it was, hoping that this time, this time he'd hear something back, if only to see a spark of light to navigate by. But nothing came back. Only silence and the faintest echoes of his own mournful cry. Can you... can you sense them, sir? Cody asked carefully, sparks of hope shimmering within his signature. Out there. No, he admitted, refusing to let it sound like as much of a defeat as it felt like. But I trust they are nonetheless. Wherever they were, no matter what they were doing, he knew one thing at least. Luke was a runner, and apparently that meant more than he could have ever anticipated. Two separate entities were searching for him, each more powerful than the last, and Luke was evading them all by a wide margin while taking four civilians in tow. If it weren't succeeding at scaring him nearly witless, he would be beside himself with pride. And even as it was, he was feeling it swell up in his chest, warm and bright nonetheless. Luke was a runner, and perhaps for the first time in his life, he was starting to see what that truly meant. The dark hummed and stretched out even further, bringing in sensations from all over the city and far beyond, high in the sky and far out to sea. He couldn't sense Luke anywhere, but with the world laid out in front of him, he could sense its patterns around him, like the suit wasn't keeping him forever separated from it. Like this, there was ozone in the air, salt on his tongue, the sound of wind chimes, and somewhere, far in the distance, there were clouds gathering on the horizon. A storm was rolling in. The text of this story is available on AO3. Theme music written by Jack Cry, Sputnik, and Sam Gabriel. If you would like to commission me to record a story, voiceover, or character, please get in touch with me using the contact information on my website, which is located at samgabrielvo.com. And there you can find other stories that I've read, as well as links to my Patreon page, to which I hope you will consider subscribing to support me, and my Discord server, where I record things live for your enjoyment. And finally, as always, thank you for listening.